This is dedicated, a show where people share about what they are dedicated to. It could be a career or a hobby. They will tell you why they are so into it, or how they become so good at it. I'm your host Lulu, and making these conversations happen is what I am dedicated to. You can also tell me what you are dedicated to. This is the stereotype we usually have of pharmaceutical scientists. Smart, athletic workaholic who spend most of their day in the laboratory. They always know what's next in the experiments. They are very close to offering the world a new promising cure. In fact, scientists are also part of the workforce. They are employees, just like you and me. They could feel stuck at work. They may struggle to collaborate. Besides studying compounds and organisms, they also seek to advance their career and step into leadership. That is how the learning and development department, aka L&D, comes into play. In a nutshell, scientists help us learn, and L&D help them learn. In this episode, we'll talk to Serene, a L&D director from AstraZeneca, a leading biopharmaceutical company. She used to work at the rare disease unit. Up to this point, her team has already delivered five medicines approved for the treatment of seven rare diseases. But before we get into that, what is a rare disease? Why should we care about it? And how L&D help working scientists navigate disruptions from the pandemic? Thanks for joining us, Serene. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you ended up there. Yeah, very glad to reconnect and be part of this experience. My name is Serene Yu and. My current role is in talent and development, specifically for Alexian, the rare disease unit of AstraZeneca, and it's been quite a journey.、Um, I have always been interested in how humans learn and how our brain functions. I was a cognitive science major in undergrad, and also. Um, my other major was interesting at Northwestern University was called learning and organizational change. So there's a lot of interplay of at the micro level individual learning, but also at the organizational level, how do we behave as a team? What are the dynamics at play?、Um, so my first job out of college was kind of an intersection of those, where I was a human capital management consultant at Deloitte. And interacted with all kinds of industries, organizations, and my favorite role always involved some sort of designing of learning experiences or、um, performance management system that really motivate individuals,、um, and even some of the change management pieces where、um, that involves, like essentially, how do we help everyone、um, perceive the information and have certain behavioral changes. And that later led me to continue asking the question in grad school.、Um, actually, my personal statement when I was applying was, 
how can we bring the joy of learning back to adulthood in an organizational setting? Um, so yeah, I think everything kind of weaved into its own thread into today's role, really supporting colleagues that have aspiration to grow uh, with opportunities, whether it's cultivating their leadership, helping them becoming better people managers, even like diving into certain subject matter expertise and understand uh, what's the business strategy at play. So a lot of that is really driven by the learner needs at the company or individual level and helping design experiences and career paths that help them reach their personal aspirations and greater impact. Wonderful. So why did you choose the life science industry? Because I feel almost all the organizations need experts like you, but you choose to work at a pharmaceutical company. And why is that? Yeah, it's kind of a serendipitous process. And I would say rather than I chose life sciences, it's more like life sciences chose me um, partially out of being in Boston where biotech life sciences is the primary industry, I would say for a lot of the innovations and also big, big talent magnet. Um, so I was here um, at the Harvard Graduate School of Education during 2019 to 2020. And if you recall, that's right around the time my graduation went virtual. Actually, our last month in the graduate program was completely online. Everyone scattered and didn't know what we would enter into um, during the recruiting season, especially as COVID and a lot of hiring freezes were just happening. I pretty much, I mean, like coming into grad school, I told myself like consulting was a great experience out of school, but those three years I'm really looking into like be either like being in the industry and really having more end to end impact rather than just handing something off to my clients. So kind of just really applied everywhere. A lot of um, education technology roles like my peers, because that was the focus of the MAD program, um, but also looked into some of the human resources aspects since that was the back, my background during the first job. I also looked into startups uh, for like user experience research because that's a skill I really honed in um, during grad school. So after a lot of hearing, um, not hearing back, because like everywhere there's a hiring freeze and really challenging season for everyone around me, um, I was fortunate enough to reconnect with a senior manager that I really enjoy working with while I was at Deloitte. And she was kind enough to connect me with this other person who was in Boston, um, also a former Deloitte alum. And he actually had openings on his team, and that's my current company, Alexion. Um, this person no longer works here, but back then he was quite senior, I think a VP at the company, having a couple of headcounts. And I feel like the growth in the industry never really stopped. Obviously, um, some of the vaccine research fueled the need, but um, still they were investing in developing people and looking into growing human capital as an asset. So yeah, really fortunate to land into the industry through some of the connections. And then later on, I realized like I could really fall in love with life sciences because there is this constant um, need for lifelong learning. 
everyone really has motivation, whether it's to stay current with the latest technology, research methodology policies. There's really a big emphasis on continuous improvement and exploration, a sense of curiosity that I really appreciate、um, among my colleagues. And I just love, like, obviously, it's kind of crazy. Like, you enter into a conference room, everyone has a PhD and and everything. But I feel there's still this like humbleness to learn from each other and to、um, not only like pass on information, but to actively create knowledge through collaborations. That I love about life sciences.、Mm-hmm. So you join Alexium and. Now it it is like part of the AstraZeneca, so is it still like functioning independently? Like, does your role change over this acquisition? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I would say,、um, out of many life milestones that I experienced over the past、um, two years, for example, I personally I got married a month ago, etc. Being acquired on the thank you, on the acquisition side is definitely a greater、um, turbulence that we all lived through. I think as part of Alexian, just in terms of culture, in terms of communication style, simply the fact of growing from a four thousand people company to a seventy thousand people company, just like. Scattered from all over the world, and having all these seven a.m. meetings because we need to、um, have knowledge transfer with UK colleagues. So definitely a lot of changes from a stakeholder perspective, from ways of working, and、um, as you mentioned as well, like my role, we were a four-people team, really designing and delivering talent programs for every layer of the organization. Um, my role previously was focused on leadership capabilities, so I would organize a lot of quarterly learning forums for our top of the house leaders. Really direct connection,、um, getting inspiration from our executive committee, and then designing the quarterly themes and、uh, whether it's hybrid in person interactions to. Um, being part of a big organization comes with a wealth of resources, so we don't have to、um, customize or create from scratch as much, because there's so many programs they've already built in house in collaboration with whether it's Duke Executive Education in Seattle, some of the really famous business schools.、Um, so I would say over the past year, year. Or so, a lot of the harmonization, as we call it, the integration effort, is centered around how do we draw from this wealth of resource to cater to the needs of our leaders, without、um, feeling it's just another generic leadership course, but listen to their needs and where the business is growing.、Um, so yeah, I would say it's a little bit more of playing a translator interpreter role compared to. Like really rolling our up our sleeves and creating a lot of things from scratch as it used to be.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also curious. Like, how is like, for example, the where did this unit structure at Alexia at AstraZeneca? And are you creating those programs for all different kinds of job functions and roles? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And the org structure is definitely evolving as we speak. So far, the model has been called autonomy with bridges, meaning we still maintained、um, a lot of independent operations and even our, like, for example, supplier system who we contract with, our vendors, our legal review are still completely separate.、Um, but as I mentioned too, we did draw in a lot of resources and also have exchange, whether it's Um, imp- uh, ex- importing and exporting leadership in key positions to make sure there are synergies and innovation. Yeah, from a structure perspective, so any pharmaceutical company that are in the commercial phase, meaning that they already have drugs that directly、um, are like approved and have interaction with physicians and patients, usually there is a commercial arm, meaning. The people who are educating our patients, people who are educating the physicians,、um, and also the operation behind all of that with different healthcare systems. And before that phase, there's obviously the research and development. That's the power engine of、um, all the way from when they first make discoveries about different molecules and different targets about different diseases. To clinical trials, clinical trial operation, meaning they recruit patients, draft all the protocols,、uh, make sure physicians are educated on the usage of particular treatments,、um, and then obviously the biostats and writing up analysis on why this is efficacious versus not the、um, toxicity or like the safety elements. And then, like summarizing all of that for regulatory approval at country level, as well as later on, really on the medical affairs side, making sure the healthcare community is aware of the、uh, correct usage or what are the factors to watch out for during diagnostics, etc. So there's really a lot of different functions at play and different expertise at play. And beyond those two kind of main pillars of every big pharmaceutical company, there's also the enabling units that we see in any corporate structure, like finance,、um, HR, your IT. And I would say IT is really often the power engine behind a lot of innovations as well, since we're in this era of really using machine learning or AI to drive a lot of the insights.、Um, So yeah, I I think for all of those, there used to be, I think both subject matter expertise level development, like that's usually managed by each function. They would have, Ellen,、uh, learning and development experts dedicated to, for example, cultivating, um, clinical trial, um, transformation. So they would. Specifically, have content designed, developed, de- delivered for their procedural and、um, whether it's scientific knowledge as well. But I think because we only had a four-people team, our focus was very much、um, cross-functional. Really, how do we cultivate enterprise-level leadership mindset? Where you care about your own、um, line of expertise, but you also care about how the company operates. How do we directly impact patients? How do we think about innovation, for example?、Um, and also, how do you engage and motivate your team? Because a lot of our leaders,、um, they also go through this growth journey of from being、um, 
you know, the the top of their field in academia or in different medical fields to now leading a team and really understanding what are, how do I navigate a difficult conversation? How do you deliver feedback? Um, how do you like navigate team dynamics, for example? Yeah. So I think it's a combination of the strategic leadership and the leading people and engaging, motivating hearts and minds. Yeah, I, I used to think like most of the employees at uh, pharmaceutical companies are pharmacists, but they're just one part of that pipeline, right? Like drug development is just one component. You also need to go through all those regulations and also getting those medicine onto the market. And then there will be many like um business operations or other like kinds of work uh, needs to be involved in this whole process. So that's why it's important to creating an environment good for uh, like collaboration. Yeah, and that's where you can drive innovation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think something that I was surprised by in terms of this level cross-functional collaboration, just to give you an example, is um, a recent capability that our organization developed was called combination, meaning um, not only do you have a drug, you have a device for the patients to self-administer because in the past, um, like our treatment, people have to go into clinics maybe every other week, maybe every month for blood infusion. Um, but there's like recent innovation where, oh, maybe people can, you know, how like, um, for insulin, like diabetes, people can self-administer based on a subcutaneous injection where they have a needle and they inject themselves with insulin. There are also advancements even in rare disease where we're looking into these new modalities and, but we didn't really have like manufacturing capability or like we didn't have knowledge in how do we make this combination works or how much fridge space do our patients need in order to store those medicine at home. So really a lot of end-to-end -end consideration in terms of patient experience and manufacturing and supply chain, all of that is new because of the innovation that could essentially make their experience better. Mm-hmm. I see. And could you give us an example of how those programs or forums you have created look like and how does they perform so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I'll give you two different examples. One is when we were building a lot of things in-house and it was also in the thick of COVID. Um, we identified a few pillars for really driving growth in the in the industry and in the landscape we're in. And one of the topics identified by top leadership was how do we drive hybrid effectiveness? So even just with that theme, initially I just assumed, you know, how do we collaborate effectively in a virtual plus in-person environment? But when we really want to talk to different stakeholders, different leaders, uh, whether they are clinical program leaders, whether they are country presidents, as we call them, meaning they're the commercial head for different countries. And they really enlighten us with the fact that when we talk about hybrid effectiveness in pharma, it's 
it is internal interaction, but it's also how do we engage with government, for example, to go through all the regulatory reviews. It's how do we interact with physicians in the virtual environment when it used to be a lot of like lunch and learn type of events, but now it's a phone call or some of the virtual、um, outreach. It's also how do we do like technology transfer with an external supplier while like two parties were not together in person. So really. Like open our eyes into like hybrid means so much more in a very cross-functional environment. So the design of that program ended up being we did have a Harvard Business School professor talk about、uh, what are the team norms like how do you navigate、um, like resetting your purpose, your ways of working, your communication method as a team, as a leader leading teams. So that's the internal collaboration fact. But there are also inspiration we drew from the organizations. We asked for a couple project spotlights for leaders to discuss. These are the innovations they've met, they've made since the beginning of COVID to really meet the needs of whether it's physician engagements, regulatory review, it's partnership transfer.、Um, so the combination of those two was kind of the primary content, and each of those leadership forum. Usually we run for about two to three hours. Would always have a thirty-minute at least breakout component where they simply talk to peers. We call these learning pods. So you would have a group of around ten leaders coming from different angles, different geographies, really discussing. Yeah, how am I applying the hybrid effectiveness in my daily role, and how can I contribute to the ongoing innovation and even take the lessons learned as we gradually change back to in-person collaborations? So that was an example from the past, and happy to share another one from、um, kind of the new modality of really taking from AstraZeneca. Another good example of really learning and development or talent focus is around inclusion and diversity. So annually, when we do talent reviews and we we re- review talent at an aggregate level, we would always report on key metrics. For example, what is the gender breakdown when it comes to VP and above、um, senior leadership, and Realizing there's still some journey to go to、um, get to a new level of equity, we have some targeted leadership development program for our female leader population, especially at the director senior director level, to help them get a bootleg on this journey to become the next generation of very senior leaders, but also to support each other as a network. So we have. Multiple、um, women in leadership type of program where it's a year long experience, a combination of、um, self paced learning about your own leadership style. For example, you get a three sixty assessment,、um, so you get like very detailed feedback from your manager, peers, or your team members on what are the areas that are your strengths or what are areas you can watch out for. Um, you also form into small groups with other 
female leaders from different sectors of the business to talk about what are some unique challenges in the workplace, whether it's based on cultural norm, um, even gender expectations, and how do we challenge that and continue supporting each other. I think a big realization is, I mean, this network is invaluable, but also it takes sponsorship, meaning it takes exposure to senior leaders who are willing to advocate for your growth and really give you stretch opportunities to get to the next level. So as a continuation, you also get these roundtables with senior leaders or mentoring opportunities and even stretch assignment where you get to do something that's out of your comfort zone, out of your typical day to day for a set amount of time to really grow your um, enterprise level view and capability. So I would say that's a a big focus for a lot of companies I know, and especially um, in pharma where there's definitely still the gender gap. Also, you mentioned you work at the rare disease unit at AstraZeneca. Mm-hmm. What what is a rare disease? Because I feel some people may not be very familiar with this notion. And also, do you feel you could relate more to the rare disease community after like working closely with professionals who specialize in those kinds of diseases? Yeah, that's a great question, and I'm definitely very passionate about um, rare disease in particular. So I would say that there, the definition in terms of the metric threshold varies by country, but I think usually it affects less than 5% of the world's population. Like the definition is a little bit different per um, country, but like over 95% of all rare diseases don't have approved treatment. So it's really a lot of self um, exploration for a lot of the patients. And they, one of the biggest challenges diagnostics, like um, I think over half of these rare diseases affect children. And even since they were born, a lot of genetic connections, um, but it often take years for them to even be diagnosed because most of the physicians in their lifetime might never see the case um, at all. I'm just pulling up some stats as well. I think with in the United States is definitely defined as fewer than six people for every 10,000. So just imagine if you live in a small town, like it's likely that the healthcare professionals there have never seen um, a case like this. And I think, Alexia, we specifically focused on devastating rare diseases that really have life-threatening impact. Um, for example, some of the metabolic issues where people have liver failure or people have like easy bone fractures that affect their growth since childhood. Or um, there are some heart um, implications or blood implications as well. So I think overall, what's unique about rare disease is often the patients are the true expert of their own symptoms and their treatment journey. And that's why as a company, we have a model that there's no decision about a patient made without a patient. 
because no one, like whether it's our colleagues or even the physicians themselves, can claim to be an expert about this disease more than the patient themselves.、Um, so I think that's something really unique, and obviously because of the nature of a smaller population, the cost of research is very high. Even to enroll and recruit for a clinical trial, like for Like a diabetes treatment or like a cancer treatment, you probably recruit at least a thousand people for one of your trials. But for us, the sample size could be like thirty people, and they are from around the world. So just imagine the cost of administering that and making sure、um, there's the publicity and awareness around the option、It、is a pretty big challenge. Yeah. Yeah, and I know like many drug companies, including AstraZeneca, they have been busy rolling out vaccines for COVID nineteen after the pandemic. So, do you think the research on rare diseases is like impacted by this pandemic situation? Yeah, I would say twofold, right? From a from a patient experience perspective and physician. Availability in general,、um, I think the diagnostic journey just became exponentially harder over the past few years. Even for oncology, another focus of AstraZeneca, there were big、um, just challenges in terms of getting people diagnosed in time because the visits to whether it's their annual exam or just any physical checkup. Were not as frequent as pre-COVID. People were avoiding the hospitals at all cost, and a lot of the smaller symptoms got dismissed because of the priority of treatment. So for rare diseases, especially, that added an additional layer of challenge for people who have not been diagnosed, and for post-diagnosis, still it might limit their access for getting to a clinic. To、um, be part of a trial or even to receive their treatment, and that's also part of the reason we looked a lot of the innovation. How can we reduce the the number of visit for people to get blood transfusion and rather really、um, self administer at home? So I, I would say it's twofold, definitely challenge, but also driver for some of the innovations internally. While like a lot of companies definitely invested heavily in the vaccine research, I would say that's pretty much an add-on to existing operation in other units.、Um, as far as I'm aware, Moderna, Pfizer, maybe Moderna, their focus was more、um, heavily on the vaccine as a smaller company. But for Pfizer, AstraZeneca, definitely it's an add-on. It's a lot of people's. Like on top of their day job, they were devoted、um, into the vaccine business, whether it's research or um, supply um, regulatory elements as well.、Mm-hmm. And also, you said you will be moving moving to the oncology unit, right? That's right.、Mm-hmm. So that would be like a different journey there. Yeah, yeah, I would say so.、Um, I think it's very exciting. I mean, just knowing personally how many of my relatives were affected by cancer, and、um, I think it is a little different. We're at a very pivotal time where many cancers are no like are curable. Like they're no longer the terminal disease that we perceive them to be. Because of the amount of innovation happening, whether it's immuno oncology,、uh, 
Um, even precision medicine, like there are a lot of personalized design to treat certain types of cancer. So definitely excited to be at the forefront of innovation. But at the same time, I think both oncology and rare disease, there is an emotional element to it. Like we know they have devastating effect, not only on the patients, but also on the caregivers, because often parents or um, caregivers have to give up their original day-to-day schedule in order to um, really support the patient and guide them through the treatment journey. So there's a like an emotional driver for a lot of these work to be accelerated, to be available to more patients around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and getting back to the rare disease issue, so I read about some statistic. So right now, like one out of 15 people globally could be affected by a rare disease because we're not only talking about patients themselves, we're also taking into consideration their family, their friends, their caregivers or other health professionals working with them. And, and also for, for cancer care, I think, yeah, more people will be affected by this. So yeah, no matter you're working on rare disease or cancer care, I think it's all like helping, um, improving the quality of life of many people and also helping them live longer with their loved ones. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think. It is pretty bold that one of our oncology ambition is to eventually eradicate cancer as a, as the cause of death. So like thinking about that as a motivation for the day-to-day work we deliver. Yeah, and I think it's a really good point. You call out like there is a slogan for our patient population saying um, individually we're rare because it's like rare disease, but together we're strong. So I think it's always very touching every time we invite patients in um, to share their journey and the caregivers as well. And um, like for all of our work PowerPoints, for example, we would have a patient photo as the front cover. And a lot of them we know by name because they've been um, on the treatment or like on the journey and on the research effort with us for many, many years. So I think there is a special emotional tie. Um, And AstraZeneca at the same time has this huge focus on scientific advancement. So you'll see a lot of um, internal like training materials or even just external marketing materials having heavy focus on scientific theme. You'll see like structures and molecules, um, things like that in the front page. So really like, having that like drive to advance science and innovation on a daily basis. Yeah, and that's basically all my questions. And thank you so much for sharing about your journey and the way you arrive where you are right now. And also helping us to understand more about rare disease and cancer. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to hearing more about your progress 
in the oncology unit. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. And as a talent person, I would just give one last plug for people to consider life sciences as a career choice. I feel it's kind of a closed door to a lot of people who didn't come from a bio or chemistry or medical background. But honestly, a lot of the skill sets are shared. We have a lot, a ton of data scientists or、um, bio like statisticians that didn't have this kind of clinical background before, but they are using similar level skill set to really advance、um, innovations in the medical field. And obviously, myself, I didn't come from a scientific background at all, but still really loving the industry, loving the fact that I'm learning something new every day, and that the ultimate motivation for everything we do is for patients, caregivers, and saving lives. So, yeah, feel free to reach out if there's any questions, and always will be an advocate for、um, life sciences as well as continuous learning in the sector. Yeah, and also there are talent and development partners like Serene to help you learn and thrive in such a working environment. So thank you. Hey, thank you for listening. If you like our episodes, subscribe to Dedicated on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to follow us on socials, you can find us at Dedicated FM on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to contact us, our email is dedicatedfm two zero two two at gmail dot com. I hope you enjoy.